Certainly you notice the great songs that we've been singing today, the song that we'll end with about being God's family, the messages from scripture that we just sang, from the greatest commandments and from the wonderful statements that we find in in the book of 1 John. And this is a church that's very active, that is called to love each other and to be unified together, and certainly our 2020 vision expresses that. And this month we've been looking at the specific aspects of that vision. Our 2020 vision calls us to look up, growing spiritually, to reach in, growing in love and unity, and to grow out, spreading the gospel to increase the kingdom, making disciples, and growing numerically. Last week we looked at that first one of looking up. Next week we'll look at the third one of growing out and spreading that gospel and growing numerically, making disciples. Today we focus on reaching in, growing in love and unity. A part of that is serving, and there are so many ways that this church serves in such a great, great way in this community and really throughout the world. Our young people have been uh, in a wonderful time of worship and devotion and spiritual growth as they've been in Arlington at Winterfest this weekend. We'll be coming back today. And tomorrow night is our Caring Kitchen, as was announced, a great opportunity to serve the needy in this community. Um, and Wednesday night, we'll meet again for Bible class, and we'll share a meal together, Mexican food, I believe, at 5.30. And so um, it's, it's going to be a great, great week of, of loving each other and, and serving and doing that in the spirit of Christ and in a spirit of unity. So many other examples of opportunities to serve on our website, on our app, in our bulletin, Prayers that need to be offered, cards that can be sent, um, encouragement that can be given. It's all a part of being a church that is growing in love and unity. A church that not only grows out by spreading the gospel, that not only looks up so that we individually and as a congregation, as a family can grow spiritually, but also one that, that reaches in, that reaches in to one another because it doesn't end with us but it starts with us it starts with that special relationship that we feel that devotion not just to Christ but to one another and a desire and an understanding that when one of us hurts we all hurt when one of us is joyful we're all joyful when one of us has needs then we all try to help growing in love and unity, reaching in with the love and word of Christ. So this morning, a few things about reaching in and growing in love and unity. Let's first of all remind ourselves that it's not just a good idea. It's commanded. It's commanded. And so the commands of love and unity, in particular, these first two passages from the book of John. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus tells his disciples and us this important statement. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Now, it's no secret that that's really not a new command to love one another. But what Jesus says about it is new. And that is this. You don't love based on how others love you. And as, as uh, wonderful as that golden rule is, the standard that Jesus sets here is even higher than the golden rule, which is to love others the way you would like for them to love you, to serve them the way you would like for them to serve you. That's a very high standard, but that's not the standard that Jesus gives us here. This one's even higher. The standard that Jesus gives us here is to love others the way he has loved us. So the standard that we have in loving one another now is not the way they love us or treat us. It's not even the way we would like for them to treat us and love us. But the standard is to love others the way Jesus has loved us. That's new. That's the new part, I believe. And then he makes this comment. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you do this. Why? Because nobody does that. (laughs) Nobody does that. People love the way they've loved. They treat others the way they've been treated. The best of us, I think, treat others according to the golden rule, the way we would like to be treated. But Jesus says the difference with you is that even that's not the standard. The difference with you is you love the way I have loved you. And everyone will know that you're my disciples if you do that. The command to love. And secondly, the command of unity. In John chapter 17, in this heart-wrenching prayer that Jesus offers to the Father before he is killed. He prays this, beginning in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's a lot of things we don't understand about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit. But one thing we do know, and that is that they are one God, Three distinct aspects, three distinct personalities, however you want to say that, Father, Son, and Spirit. But they are one. And the amazing thing about this statement is that Jesus says, I want my disciples to be one with one another as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one with one another. And again, Jesus gives us the importance. Why is this important? Because everyone will know. If in the midst of all your differences, in the midst of all your difficulties, in the midst of all your tension and conflict that comes up at times, and it will invariably come up at times, in the midst of all of that, you still are one. You still are unified. You still have this incredible love and devotion for one another. The way the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit love and devote to us. We want everyone to know, as Danny shared that wonderful story. Thank you, Don, for allowing him to share that. 
this young man who was so impacted by Dawn and her reaching out to him in a difficult situation, and yet she became even more impacted by him, and now today all of us are. None of us will forget that story. The most beautiful word in the English language is Jesus. The most beautiful word in any language is Jesus. And we want people to know that. We want people to come to believe that. Whatever language they speak, wherever they might be, and there's a really good chance that the majority of people that we will reach with that message speak your language. How will they know that that's the most, Jesus is the most beautiful word It's if we love one another and if we are one with one another. Growing in love and unity. For some of the day today, we're going to look at a couple of churches. The church in Corinth in just a moment, but right now the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul reminds us of Jesus' commands to love one another and to be unified with one another. And he says this in the first four verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, unified, one, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's what our shepherd, Jay Bynum, prayed as, as he led us earlier in that marvelous prayer, calling on us and asking for God's help to be devoted to one another, even more than devoted to our likes and our desires and our preferences. Paul says, set that aside. Set that aside for the sake of others. Why? Because you're commanded to, first of all. Jesus commands us to love the way he loved us. And in just a moment, in in chapter 2, he's going to give Jesus as the example of what this looks like. And before we close today, we'll read that great passage. But he also reminds us that that love leads us to be one with one another, to be unified together. Love and unity are not optional. (laughs) They are commanded. They're hard. They're difficult. They don't come easy. Because Satan doesn't want us to love one another the way Jesus loved us. And he doesn't want us to be unified in the midst of our differences. Because he knows that when people see that, they will know that we are with Jesus and that they will want to do the same. And so he'll challenge us and tempt us to try to get us to disobey. Well, let's let's take a look at that for a moment. Let's stay right here in the church at Philippi and talk for a moment about what it looks like to disobey these commands. Because the church at Philippi gives us that example. It was a great church. Paul spoke of it as being partners in ministry with him. Because of their financial contributions to his mission trips, because of their prayers for him, Lydia was the first European convert from Paul, perhaps from anyone 
And it was right there in Philippi. And then he, she invited them to her home after they baptized her at that place of prayer. And perhaps the church met in Lydia's home for a while. Could still be. That experience in Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer was right here in this church. Right here in this community. And Paul has much to say about joy in the midst of suffering and and God's taking care of us to the Philippians. It's a wonderful, positive, amazing book. But in the midst of all of the great things that were going on in Philippi, they had an issue. And it was an issue of conflict. And it could be divisive and could disrupt the whole church. And so Paul tells them, you need, to, you need to take care of this. You need to act in the way of the cross in this specific situation. How specific is it, Bill? He names names. No one ever does that. Aren't you glad your preacher doesn't name names? <laughs> Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. In verse 1, he had expressed his heart to these brothers and sisters that he's writing to in Philippi, that he loves, that he longs for, that are his joy and crown. But in the midst of that, there were two women, very faithful women, very active women, servants of the Lord, women who served right there with Paul in his ministry. And yet they were at odds with each other. And he calls on them, specifically them, to be unified, to be of the same mind. And he calls on everyone to help make that happen, to encourage them, to affirm them in all the great work that they've done, and to help them find their way. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. Bill, what was their issue? I want to know. I want to know too, it doesn't say. And that's probably a good thing. <laughs> because it doesn't have to. It applies to whatever the issue is that's causing a barrier and a wall to come up between brethren. That Satan can use to disrupt a whole congregation and divide it. And here's the thing. Why does he talk to them about... Why does he pull others in? It's because whenever there's a conflict, there's talk, and one person takes a side, and another person takes a side, and before very long, you've got Satan driving a wedge in a church. And one of the things about this, these verses is that Paul doesn't take a side. He affirms both of them, and he affirms the church. And he says, in the midst of this very difficult and trying time, Find unity. Find a way to be able to come to some kind of resolution. To be of the same mind in the Lord. And that doesn't mean that you believe all the same things. <laughs> because we know from all of the rest of the New Testament that doesn't happen in a church. Unless the church has one member only. 
then you all believe the exact same thing. But there's not much fellowship there. And there's not much opportunity for growth. And that's what Paul sees this as. He sees this as an opportunity for growth. We saw it in the conflict between Paul and Barnabas, two mission teams out of one. We saw it in the conflict earlier in the book of Acts when some of the Grecian widows, the widows of a Greek background that were Jewish Christians had had been forsaken and were not being taken care of. And and there was complaints made and and it could have been a disaster, but instead godly spiritual men were told to take care of that and the leaders were able to continue their ministry and the church grew. Why did the church grow? Because they never had conflict? No, because they dealt with it in a biblical way, directly, without giving up on the rest of the teaching of Scripture. Well, as you know, perhaps if you're looking for an example of what it looks like to disobey these commands of love and unity, Philippi is a good example here, but the best example is in Corinth. (laughs) The church at Corinth had every problem imaginable, literally. In chapter 1, it expresses their divisiveness. They were a divided church. They had preacheritis, actually. It's a horrible disease that most medical doctors have not quite heard of. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Christ. All great men. Only one was the Savior. Paul, a great missionary and writer of scriptures, but even the Corinthians would say, that guy's a lot stronger in his letters than he is in person. I've heard him not much to listen to. Apollos, a great preacher, a powerful preacher, spent quite a bit of time in Corinth. Peter, of course, the great apostle Peter, and then Jesus. And so Paul asked them in chapter 1, was was Paul crucified for you? (laughs) Were you baptized in the name of any of these guys except Jesus? In chapter 3, he goes back and revisits that difficulty, and he talks about it some more. And we're going to look more at those passages next week as we talk about reaching out growing out and growing numerically. In chapter 8 and in chapter 10, he talks about a different problem where individuals disagreed about a particular doctrinal belief that was very important to them. And he doesn't call on them to all agree. He calls on them to be one and to be unified in the midst of their disagreement. In chapter 11 is that great passage on the Lord's Supper. And the issue there is not that they weren't thinking about Jesus. It's not that they weren't focused on Jesus. It's that they weren't applying the cross to themselves. And so they weren't being considerate of one another. They weren't waiting for others. By the time some even got to church, it was all gone. And Paul said, if that's what you're doing, that's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Because as you think about this Jesus who was crucified for you, you ask yourself, how can I act that way towards others? And they weren't doing that, and Paul condemned them for it because it was dividing the church. And there were some who felt left out, and rightly so. In chapter 12 is that great passage about gifts and 
you know, my gift is better than your gift. There were some that were singing that song, and there were others that were saying, you know, you're right, my gift, your gift is better than mine. I guess I don't belong. Both were condemned in chapter 12 because all of the gifts are important. Every single person is needed. And then in chapter 14, there were all kinds of beliefs about the resurrection, the core belief of the resurrection. And yet Paul said, don't let that divide you. This is what it looks like to disobey. (laughs) And see, here's the thing. All unhealthy churches are imperfect churches. All unhealthy churches are imperfect churches. But here's the other part of that. All healthy churches are imperfect churches. If you're looking for the perfect church, good luck. It's not this one. If you're looking for a healthy church, a healthy church is an imperfect church, yes, but it's dealing with its imperfections in a biblical way, in the way of the cross. In the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the tension, there is a call to go back to the cross. There is a call to sacrifice. There is a call to be willing to put someone else's desires and preferences ahead of your own. what it looks like to disobey these commands. We get a great picture of it from these churches, but let's end today with what it looks like to obey. And interestingly enough, what we do is we go back to these same two churches, Philippi and Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this, In verses 19 and following, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under God's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul says there's nothing more important than the gospel. There's nothing more important than the church. And I will sacrifice everything for that. And that's what he calls on the church at Corinth to do, and that's what he calls on us to do as well. But the great picture in the book of 1 Corinthians about what it looks like to obey is in chapter 13. That great chapter on love. And in that chapter, he starts out by saying, if I can do all these kind of incredible, miraculous things, but I don't have love, it means nothing. I am nothing. Whatever else is said about you, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't love one another the way Christ has loved you, it means nothing. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then verse 13, now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Our prayer is what we sang earlier, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that can't be broken. Bind us together in our common love. That will happen if we act this way. It won't happen if we're gauging how others act this way. (laughs) It will happen when we look in the mirror and we ask ourselves, is this the way I act? And how can I do that better? And so we turn back to that passage in Philippians 2. This evening we'll look at the church at Rome and the church at Ephesus as we speak more particularly about some of these things. But as Paul considers how we should act, how we should treat one another, how to get to this love and unity that Jesus calls us to have for one another, he gives the ultimate example. And it's what Jay mentioned in his prayer, looking ahead to that time when every knee shall bow. How should we treat each other? This is the example he gives us in verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is what it looks like to love one another the way Jesus loved us, to be one with one another the way the Father, Son, and Spirit are. Jesus being in every way God, in the very throne room of the Father, let go of that for a while and became less than the angels, a man, and was killed on a cross. That's how committed he was to love and unity, and he calls on us to be the same. Therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as Jay prayed, we look forward to that day, but why does Paul tell us this story here? He tells us this story here so that thinking of that day, we can live a certain way now in the meantime. Yes, we look forward to that day, but how are we to act now in the meantime? We're to take the way of the cross. We're to act with love and unity for one another, unselfishly sacrificing ourselves. So the way I see it, we have two options as we close. The first option is to live by my own preferences and require uniformity. Live by my own preferences the way I see things and require everyone else to see the same things. That's called uniformity. That is not called unity. And it is impossible. Impossible. 
because we will not all agree. And so I can live by my own preferences and require uniformity, or, or, I can live by the call to love and seek unity. That's the way of the cross. That's reaching in, loving one another, being united with one another, working together to share God's love with others. This morning, if you need help and encouragement living this way of the cross, come as we stand, sing our song together. When upon my spillows you are